Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. How are you doing? It is January 30th, uh, which is one day after January 29th. Mm-hmm. And um, I know uh, for our listeners will know that this is a day where some time ago, not that long ago, um, how many years has it been? Five. Five years. Wow. Five years ago, um, Alexandre Bissonnette uh, entered a Quebec City mosque and opened fire, killing six people in an atrocious hate crime. And Nora, you're located in Quebec City. Uh, What was January 29th like yesterday? Yeah, well, we had a vigil. And as you can imagine, for the fifth anniversary, it had been hoped that we would have big events. So uh, since the tragedy, the mosque has undergone a complete renovation. It's an amazing space. And Uh, You know, the green carpets that many people will recall seeing pictures from that night. It's been completely removed and replaced with a very deep red carpet with gold detailing. And the the folks at the the mosque, is called the CCIQ, they were really, really ready to have people inside, to to welcome people inside. And um, and so they would normally organize that. And then we have a, a group of, of, of residents that organize the, the memorial service. And Omicron totally just killed it. Um, we could have had, you know, up to 250 people outside. We probably could have had more than that. But the cases in Quebec City are just still so high. And, um, and we thought that the most – and it's very, very cold. And so the safest thing for us was to organize an event that happened on stage but where the public wasn't invited because we would then just live broadcast it. So, right, right. You know, on one hand, it was very sad. Um, I mean, the event was very sad, of course. But on the organizing side, on one hand, it was very sad that um, that we couldn't do the kinds of events that we had all been hoping to do for the last number of years, looking towards the fifth anniversary. But on the other hand, you know, the organizers did actually get to see each other. So there's about 20 of us, maybe max, um, who from the mosque and from the, the organizing committee um, that were able to actually be together and 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 run this thing. And, you know, the, the guys that did the tech were amazing. The translator was amazing. We invited uh, someone from the London Muslim Mosque, Nuseba Al-Azhar, to come and talk about their the work um, in the aftermath of the murder of the Afsal family. And so that was awesome. And to see Nuseba like speak directly to Francois Legault about Bill 21, about Islamophobia in Quebec and in Canada. It was, it was really, um, it was, it was an incredible night and I, I haven't watched the film, so I don't know if it came across. I hope it came across on camera, but it was, it was really special and really, really amazing. And I was left with, um, all of the feelings that I, I usually have, um, related to this incident, but also reminding myself that, that the what just of what the pandemic has stolen from us, like this ability to gather, this ability to be with one another. And um, you know, while the Zoom meetings have been easier because none of us have to go anywhere and it's perfect and it's, you know, we can meet in our homes and it's and it's no problem. Uh the downside, of course, is just like you just miss people so much. And um and I left last night very like 
with this heavy feeling of missing everybody and that 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 that, that conversation of, of missing you know each other missing being together you know at the mosque which has been fully closed since December thir- uh, 26 like people can't even go to pray uh, because of the um, of the public health measures and of course the day that that the measures were announced um, the police were called on the mosque for breaking the measures which they absolutely weren't so there's still tension of course with some people in the neighborhood but um, the message that came out from all of the survivors was that um, things are better today than they were four years ago. Things are slowly getting better for them personally. And at one point, uh, two two sets of, of families came to the mosque uh, to, to deliver flowers uh, for the anniversary. And the guy uh, looked like just an average white guy. And I was thinking of the, the truck convoy in Ottawa. And I'm like, this guy could have been there. And he's here dropping off flowers with his son to this mosque. It was just like, you know, we have to build these spaces or else people won't ever be able to have the entry path into, you know, exhibiting solidarity, showing their solidarity and building these kinds of connections that we need in our society. And where can people watch that stream that was created? Does it live somewhere on the internet? Can we maybe put it in the show notes for people? Yeah, totally. So you can find it at the the committee page. Uh, so we're called the Citizens Committee, the Commemoration Committee, I think, on Facebook, Comité Commemoration. And um, there's also, we have a live voiceover in English. And so you can actually watch the whole thing in English. And then, of course, for our listeners who obviously listen to us, you might want some English content. Nuseba's speech was in English live. So you can check that out specifically if you wanted to hear her. So, yes, it's available. Great. And I think, I mean, you've opened up a little bit of the conversation that I think we're probably going to have tonight about, and many other people have have made this sort of um uh, comparison of that, yes, uh, this is the weekend of January 29th, and it's also the weekend where um, what is my favorite hashtag, uh, the Flu Trucks Clan, has rolled into. <laughs> it's a good <laughs> it's one. It's a great one. Um, if you haven't heard it, I'm referring to the truck convoy that has rolled into Ottawa, promising to create a Canada's version of January 6th. But before we get there, perhaps we have some people to thank. Yes, we so do. Thank you to everyone who supports the podcast, whether through sharing it or telling their friends or donating. And so to the the folks who've donated for the first time or changed their donation this week, especially thanks to Grace, Josie, Angela, Elizabeth, Ella, and Alexandra. Thank you so much. Thank you all so much. Okay, so... You know, I'm I'm watching the news. I'm seeing this stuff. It looks like uh, a whole bunch of people have decided to roll into Ottawa. What I'm seeing based on the news is like thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of trucks. Like so notable that Elon <laughs> Musk is all up on these trucks. And so not- notable that <laughs> yesterday... <laughs> Ottawa was trending on Twitter in California. So like it, it'll, you know, it, it kind of like geolocates what is what is uh, trending uh, to your location. And so I'm geolocated in California and it's like trending in California, Ottawa. And I was like, what? <laughs> what is happening? Wow. What weirdo world am I in? Nora, um, so did they take down 
parliament? Like what's going on mm-hmm. <laughs> there? I imagine that most of our um, federal leaders were in Quebec City um, this weekend. So, Oh, interesting. Interesting comment. Um, all I can say is that I only heard from two federal leaders this year. One was planning to be in Quebec City and then came into contact with a COVID case. The other one um, ended up meeting with the truck convoy <laughs> and, and was not here. And what happened to the other ones? The, thir- the third one never got in touch with us, so I don't know. Well, I, I mean, there's more than just the third, right? I've, well, was Legault invited? Probably not. <laughs> Probably oh, not. and you're talking about federal leaders. The provincial, no, no of course, Francois Legault was there. Yes. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. He's there. He's there every year. <laughs> to, yeah, okay. to, uh, to the minorist credit of, of him, he's there every year and, and he knows he's going to take it on the chin and he does. <laughs> so, OK, so you did not hear. I'm, let me just guess, obviously, who these people are. Justin Trudeau is the one who's coming to contact with COVID. We've seen that on the news. Mm-hmm. And then I assume that Aaron O'Toole is the one who ended up going to the trucker protest. Yep. Which means that Jagmeet Singh just didn't respond. I mean, we didn't send out invitations um, all that far and wide. I mean, we sent invitations to people all across the province, and I don't recall if he was formally invited. Um, but I mean, we never really formally invite the federal leaders; they just uh, show, they just show up. <laughs> they usually invite themselves. So, yeah, no, we didn't hear from them this year. I don't know what uh, the NDP was doing uh, on on Saturday night, but I certainly hope they were somewhere. Uh, I know that Andrea Horvath in Ontario was was um, participating in an event in London um, in the morning. So I, I guess I don't know if it's if it was weird or not that we didn't hear from the federal NDP, but we we didn't. Well, regardless, um, was was there a coup? Is there a new Canada? Yeah, I have so much to say about this, and I, I want to guess maybe start by saying I know. Can you can you imagine that I'd have so much to say about something like this? Um, oh, exciting! The, the first thing I want to say about this is I think that every mainstream journalism, uh, every almost every mainstream journalist uh, writing about this is getting it wrong in in a very significant way, and they're getting it wrong in various degrees. And so, at the end of last week, the line being pushed by CBC and it seemed to come from the top because it's to trickle down into all of their shows was that what started as a trucker convoy turned into a trucker convoy of Nazis. Oh, they were hijacked, right? There was this weird messaging around them being hijacked, which um, which was something that Aaron O'Toole had said actually on Thursday. And so I kind of suspect that that's where they took their lead from. I'm, I'm not sure if that messaging really stuck because now we're like seeing like who these fucking people are. Um, but that's how it was first formed. And then there was this other narrative that was like, they're rolling into Ottawa to declare a new republic and they're going to dissolve parliament and they're going to meet with the governor general's fucking magic duck and the duck will grant them three wishes. And ha ha ha, how stupid is all of this? Can you believe it? Oh, we're so smart. We've read the British North America Act. And, and it's this kind of approach to what's happening right now that I think is so fucking unhelpful because... And, and this is also what I really want to talk to you about. Like what these guys are doing is engaging in theatrics. It's theatrical. It isn't realistic. It isn't legal. They don't give a fucking rat's ass if anything they say is possible or true. It's theatrical. And it's theatrical because they know that one, the journalists will talk about them. And two, because average people like don't actually care about the fucking way that the constitution does or doesn't work. This is the fucking stuff of losers and wonks uh, in Ottawa, right? And so it's interesting because because a lot of journalists have really stuck on to this. And it's like, ha- did they show up in Ottawa to stage a coup? Like, o- obviously the fuck not. They, they, they are, apparently they showed up to Ottawa to just 
shit on Parliament Hill to piss on the fucking war memorial and like, you know, stuff like that. It's like, okay, um, that that's what they're there to do. And so but instead of like being like realistic about this and saying, okay, what really is happening there? Instead, there's this message being pushed out that that this is a group of people that are a serious threat to the democracy of Canada in a specific way in which they are not actually a threat. They are a threat to Canadians for sure. But it isn't in the way that that liberal media is saying they are a threat to us. They're a threat to like the liberals a little bit. And they're kind of a threat to the conservatives, although not exactly. Um, a couple of conservatives have been caught up in the in the web of this, including Aaron O'Toole. Um, but at the end of the day, they're, they're, they're act, their actions are so egregious that no one is going to have a problem distancing themselves from this or condemning them or mocking them. And so I think from a left wing perspective, we have to ask, OK, what actually is fucking happening here? What, what is this about? And then what is the proper response from those of us on the left who are looking at this and saying, holy fuck, we haven't fucking been able to organize shit in this country. And these guys did a cross Canada fucking trucking convoy. Like, uh, that seems kind of fucking not a good sign. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that um, in trying to discuss what's really going on, something that is really necessary for us to understand is that, yes, like this is a, this is a convoy of trucks uh, and it is also a convoy of trucks that has been organized by people who are white supremacists, either directly who admit that they're white supremacists or people who um, hold those types of views. But there's also a number of people who are simply joining because of the um, the issue that has kind of been tacked on top of the underlying kind of white supremacist uh, organizing, uh, which is like these these freedoms that people are talking about. And I think it's really, really crucial for us on the left to uh, interrogate and try to understand what it is that uh, the white supremacist organizers and the um, the skilled organizers, what it is that they are capitalizing on and to, to get more people to join them. Because then that becomes, of course, an open door to um, perhaps more dangerous, more sinister types of organizing. Yeah, exactly. And so, like, you know, a lot of people's reflex has been to say, like, where are the police? The police should be stopping this. And it's like, fucking obviously the police should be stopping this. Obviously, if this was not white fucking people organizing, it would be shut down. Obviously, we've seen what the police do to, to, to people organizing in Ottawa against evictions. Like, we've seen this. We've seen them break up uh, camps, uh, homeless camps all across this country. We know all of this. And repeating it over and over, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if people have just retreated to, like, mantras to get themselves through this rather than saying, okay, okay. So the pictures that I'm seeing, and I'm, I'm assuming that it's the, they're the same kinds of pictures that everyone is seeing is this is a group of people who have been, who feel completely at like at the Liberty to take over a downtown and just fucking like do whatever the hell they want for three days. And basically they're having parties. I mean, it, it, it doesn't seem like there's much actual political coup activity. Like, I'm seeing people just drinking beer on the streets and they're probably having uh, uh, any, I'm not actually going to say that's so disgusting. They're, 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 they're partying. Right. 
and um, and they're doing so, and they're and they're sending off their sirens all the time. They're driving the people that live downtown Ottawa completely out of their minds. And I mean, I live somewhere where there's actually white supremacists have had these truck convoy, not trucks, but like car convoy. Uh, rallies consistently actually during the pandemic. They just haven't been as publicized. Um, and so I know what it's like to have to listen to these horns for, you know, um, you know, amazingly in our case, it's only like up to six hours. It's not, you know, more than a couple of days. So I know that it gets a little bit um, over the top. But like, it, it seems like the question for the left is when we look at what's happening, do we say this shouldn't happen at all? Or do we say, how do we respond to this and understand this? And I think a lot of people are saying this shouldn't happen at all. Like this truck convoy is bad. It's wrong. There's Nazis involved. We need to condemn it. It shouldn't happen. But we live in a society where people are going to fucking organize and they're going to do what they're going to do. And so aside from like imagining that these things are going to happen by people who are organized, if we're looking at that and saying it shouldn't happen, we're not being realistic. The reality is, is that what we should be saying is there needs to be some sort of at least balance within like the forces of society right now. And the far right is on the ascent. And so where the fuck is the left in this? And and so what I'm thinking is like, you know, in the very beginning, police uh, and some activists were like, don't challenge them. It'll create violence. You don't want to put yourself at, at, at risk. And it's like, OK, fine. But like did neighborhoods think of, well, let's just fucking park some cars at the end of our streets so that they're not going to drive down our streets. You know, really basic things like that. Like it would only take a couple of people to actually get that together. Or or where are the, the elected people rather than saying, oh, police, where are you? Come help us. Like actually fucking doing something that can help push back a little bit in a way that is safe uh, and in a way that doesn't put neighborhoods in, into more risk. Understanding that, you know, you're already at risk, so you might as well fucking do something. Um, but I think the focus on condemning them and condemning them and condemning them is actually taking away the airspace from pe- from actually saying, where is this coming from? What is actually happening? And what does this mean for uh, for society in general and for the left more specifically? Yeah. And just to put a, uh, um, an example um, uh, to our listeners about uh, how the police have responded previously to other protests, I mean, Um, I just want to remind folks that the uh, Ottawa um, Black Diaspora Coalition had a Black and Indigenous uh, uh, demonstration in 2020 uh, where they took over an intersection. It was uh, not a lot of people there, dozens of people, and 12 of them were arrested that night. 12 of them were arrested. it was uh, pretty brutal for those young activists. And here we are with, with you know, this massive um, uh, sort of thing that's happening. People on the left calling for the police, as Nora and I have said several times before, as have many other abolitionist activists said before, the police are not our friends in these sorts of things, uh, but the police are certainly the friends of folks who are white supremacists and so on. And that should never be uh, where we reach to for support. So, yes, all of these people are here. This is the society that we live in where we want it to we're not going to say uh, shut down this sort of protest or whatever. But what are we what are we going to do? Well, One of the things that I think is really crucial is to try to figure out what brings the average person, not the organizer, the, the white supremacist organizers, but what brings the average person here to something like this. And as we've been talking about a lot on this podcast, it's uh, there's there's a few things that our governments have been shirking responsibility on 
when it comes to dealing with where we are currently in the pandemic and where we've been. One of those things that we talked about a few years ago, was it a few years ago? Two years ago, maybe now? Probably, actually. Maybe not quite two years ago. Um, just, just under two years ago, was talking about how, as a society, we do not prioritize leisure and wellness in a particular yes. way. And that has a serious impact on how we live our lives, where in, in, in normal times, we're just given, you know, we have like that, you know, the idea that we have eight hours for work, eight hours for rest and eight hours to do whatever we want, which, you know, has obviously been eaten away at. Um, but there's this idea that you've got time to do whatever you want and you can fill it however you want with whatever leisure you want to do. And yes, maybe we invest in some parks and libraries and things like that. But that's about as much as we care about leisure. And then when everything shut down for the pandemic, no one talked about leisure. We talked about, we eventually started talking about mental health, but there was never any sort of coordinated effort to make sure that people had access to leisure or wellness. Um, the other thing that we have to think about that the government is shirking their responsibility on is what happens at a point where you've been in lockdown for so long or some version of lockdown or some version of altered living for so long, but the rules start to not make sense anymore. <laughs> the rules are like, okay, so we can have big athletic events, but I can't go to the restaurant. We know that Omicron is, um, is contagious for how many days, but you're still going to make me go back to work after five, but I can't see my grandmother at a long-term care facility. People can do the math. Like this stuff doesn't make sense. And so here you have like these two really big pieces that the governments, that our governments have just like shit the bed on. And people are angry and want a way to express their frustration. What is the way to express their frustration on the left? Have we provided one? No, we haven't. What is the way to express their frustration on the right? Well, there's this weird fucking convoy. That seems to make sense. I, I wanna, want to express my frustration, and so I will go. I am sure that there are people who are a part of this where that is their logic. Yeah. No, absolutely. That's absolutely the case. Because, I mean, I've been I, I probably am, am friends online with four or five people who are like really into the truck convoy. And I've watched the process of radicalization over the, the pandemic. And, and these are not wealthy people. They're white. They are um, like actually in both cases, pretty working class. And um <sighs> Like you can see the like the the number of of things that don't add up from the government has just hit its breaking point. So people with young children having to deal with the school issue that is like always difficult and 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 not very predictable, um, and and you know the fear around uh, getting COVID or whatever, and then of course then you throw in all of this vaccine skepticism or or opposition or whatever for whatever reason, and as you say, there's just no pressure valve. There's no pressure valve. And I think that for people on the left, like I, I don't know if if the ex because of this lack of expression of the of the frustration and anger with everything, I, I'm afraid that actually what's happening is, is it's just people are bottling it up. Like it's just going fully internal. 
and it means that people aren't doing very well and that people are struggling and that we don't have any kind of collective way to, to, to release that pressure valve and to, and to find ways to, to like actually do civil disobedience in a way that is safe and that um, can bring people together. This is the other thing that there doesn't just seem to be like the, the appeal. There's there's two kinds of appeals that I'm seeing from from left broadly left wing people. I wouldn't say like radical leftists, although some people I'm a bit surprised by some of the comments. But 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 one is this appeal to um, uh, Canadianness and 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 what is a good Canadian. And this is this is not our Canada and all this kind of bullshit. Like as if anything about this pandemic may, should make anyone fucking proud to like show the Canadian flag. And as if like the, there's more Canadian flags like in the truckers convoy. Like let's not be like kid ourselves. These, folk, these folks think that they're being patriotic Canadians as well. Um, and so this appeal to like order and Canadianness and, um, you know, just do what is necessary for the good of people. Like there's no critical thought there uh, or critical thought is very, very difficult. And, and this is also, of course, where the media is to blame because there is no left wing critical thought. Like we're just we're, we're just not allowed. And actually, Sandy, we should probably mention uh, our uh, little cameo in the national news last week. Um, I meant to mention that at the top of the show. So <laughs> j- jump in when I'm just finished this second thought. The second thing is this like bizarre appeal to uh, decorum that I'm seeing from people like very angry that like that the fucking uh, tr- uh, flu trucks clan are desecrating monuments. Right. And it's like. Sorry, what the fuck? Like, desecration monuments is cool. And what I think is good about that is that it's so it's such a political act that there's never any question about where someone stands. And so someone desecrates a monument uh, and writes Nazi imagery on it and, and, and racist imagery on it or whatever. It's like, that is a hate crime. We can fucking clearly see that plain as day. That is a hate crime. Someone takes the head off of fucking Eggerson Ryerson. It's like, okay, we can see what that is actually too. You know, like these things are all part of the same the same world. And sometimes I feel like, and, and Vicky Mochama, a, a journalist, uh, made this comment that, like, when we're starting to see the military define what fucking free speech is and free speech going too far with this trucker convoy, we are in some very dangerous fucking territory. And what I'm very worried about is there's no left-wing civil society actors. I haven't seen any fucking strong and progressive comments from any NDP representatives, from fucking any unions. Uh, it's just all condemnation and appeal to decorum and appeal to Canadianness. And it's just missing the fucking, it's totally missing the mark because it's like, it looks like spring break for these guys. Uh, and of course it's going to look like spring break for them because they are fed up with the pandemic and they're just going to go and have a fucking good time in Ottawa, which I mean, is impossible. Like you cannot have a good time in Ottawa, but I mean, I just, I just don't understand how people can look at this and just say like, and, and not get what this is about, that this is like mass racist catharsis and not a mass attempt to fucking overthrow the government, regardless of the fucking messages that, that, uh, that are coming out from from some journalists uh, covering it. Yeah, and the danger there, of course, being that it's also a mass opportunity to organize uh, on behalf of the right, if you if that is what you are trying to do. If there's all of a sudden a whole bunch of people who were previously in disparate locations from one another who are now all in the same place with differing um, levels of attachment to right-wing ideas, like this is a major organizing opportunity. I have been also similarly really disappointed with what's going on from the left. I think during the pandemic, there was like, you know, the pandemic and uh, social media really collapses 
everything. It collapses ideas. It really polarizes ideas because we're trying to understand things quickly. We're doom scrolling, um, whatever. I'm sure there's somebody else out there who can do a, a complete analysis about why things happen the way they happen. But what has come to be the the call on the left is solely believe science and follow the rules for everyone's sake. Those are the those are the mm-hmm. two left wing calls. The right wing calls have been science isn't real, but also they are infringing on our civil liberties. Now there's something to that. Like there is something to the idea that like let's take a look at how easy it is for governments and for rules to be made around what we can and cannot do. Um, but there's a way that we can do that also from the left, have an analysis on that from the left. And we should have an analysis on what the government is doing and how they are using science to justify what they're doing uh, beyond just simply that uh, in a pandemic, we should listen to scientists and doctors. I think that that's obvious. We've made our, our point on that. We should continue to make our point on that, sure. But there is the, we don't take away from that point by also saying um, there's more here that the government should be doing. In absence of a good, critical, left-wing response to what is actually happening during the pandemic that rem- remains fucked, we get this kind of bullshit that doesn't mean anything. Like, I'm reading the news and it's like Terry Fox's statue has an upside-down Canada flag on it. I'm like... Yeah, I mean, I guess that is what I would expect from Canada's January 6th, I suppose. Like, what? Like, who, who cares? How, why is that the news? Instead of, like, at some sort of analysis of what brings people here. Like, I, I don't care about what, how Canadian or un-Canadian this is. Like, what a ridiculous approach to... Uh, taking a look at a really serious issue. These are people who are feeling either fucking racist or disaffected. And I kind of care about the disaffected folks. And I want to know, you know, like if there was another way to understand and uh, our current predicament, would they be there or would they be with us on the left who have failed to organize or uh, create a good critique around this stuff? What shocks me is like we are now in a situation where, what, 33,000 people have died from this pandemic. Uh, uh, We can argue that a huge number of those deaths were directly related to bad management from politicians. We have not seen any politician directly confronted for any of that. The only people confronting politicians are the far right. We have not seen any uh, mass expressions of anger for how this pandemic has been operating. And instead, uh, you know, people are just kind of, you know, putting their nose to the grindstone and getting through it, Um, oftentimes because it's just through our labor that we're able to get through these things. Like hospitals are operating off of the the, like the, the sweat of the brow of the people running the hospitals and not by the grace of anything that fucking any single politician has been doing. Uh, for example, and you can see that replicated across industries. But at, at almost two years where we have been told that the only safe thing is to get vaccinated and to stay home. That's the only safe thing. 
Uh, except, of course, oh, no, you have to go to work. Okay, so you have to go to work. That's You're going to take a daily risk, and you're going to go to work. You have to take a daily risk. You're going to send your kids to school. That's your daily risk. And it's like, why the fuck can't my daily risk be going on a vacation to Montreal? Why can't my daily risk be fucking seeing a friend for a coffee? You know, like, if, if everything about this pandemic is about risks and the level of risk involved— why has it been wholesale to the service of capital and the service of the profits of the people who we work for and absolutely none of that attention to the leisure, the wellness, the community necessary that also has risks involved? But if we're going to shut down certain aspects of the society, of our society to reduce certain risks, then at the fucking very least – Give us the tools to have some sort of social life. I was talking today to a friend who lives in Berlin, and he was telling me that to get into bars, you have to have a rapid test, even if you're vac- and you have to be vaccinated, double vaccinated. And actually, as we were talking, he went through one of these rapid test centers. They're all walkable. They're everywhere. And you it's in your common day where you just get your rapid test and you go about your business and then you can show the bar. Yes, I had my test, you know, an hour ago or 20 minutes ago. And here's my result. And it's all fine. And I was saying to him, I'm like, we can't even get rapid tests. Like, we can't even get, I mean, I mean, I personally can because my kids are in school and our and schools just sent them to us. But by and large, like, we can't even do the testing. So there's like absolutely no desire to protect us. And so I understand the, the fucking rage that is fueling this racist truck convoy. And I'm perplexed why there is no similar expression of rage and then organizing from the left. And I suspect that this attention on the right and the way that people are talking about it is betraying this deep anxiety of the fact that nothing has been organized on the left and we don't have any significant pushback against any one of our governments anywhere in this country. It's also just too easy. You know, it's it's way too easy to just be like, well, um, let's just, again, collapse the issue and make it black and white. This is black and white. These are racists. We're not racists. And so the what do we do with respect to the racists? We, we condemn them. And that's it. None of that is useful for for organizing something in the future or for organizing what's happening right now or for changing our current conditions. We have to go a little bit deeper than that. And uh, for me, I think that, you know, like when you were talking about the the rapid tests, I was thinking about my experience here in Los Angeles, too. I have three or four free rapid testing uh, places within walking distance. You know, we are in the United States, you know, there's critiques about um, mailing every household for when some for rapid tests, when some households might need more and some households might need much less. But at least they're doing that, you know, <laughs> they're mailing out these rapid mm-hmm. tests. And there is this, I don't know if you've seen this, but there's this um, this kind of knee-jerk response that I've seen from some uh, people who would describe themselves as left in Canada saying, okay, well, you know, we're so fucking forgiving of the government, eh, Nora? Like people are just like, well, you, you know, they, the, the Canadian government can't do that. The American government can do it because it's warmer in America. 
But in Canada, it's cold. Right. And if you mail the tests when it's cold, it's just not going to work. And I'm just like, in what fucking world <laughs> do you imagine that the United States uh, writ large is just like totally warm and Canada is just totally cold? I mean, as though fucking Alaska doesn't exist or New England or like <laughs> Toronto isn't warmer than a whole bunch of places in the United States. Like, come on, Minnesota, fucking... Don't let your governments off the hook like that. We, there is a critique to be made about how the government fucked up the rapid test rollout. We started to make that critique and then quickly uh, kind of just went right back into this belief science. These people are racist. There is so much that the government has not done during the pandemic that they really, really needed to take care of. And I am nervous about like to me, this this protest what it's like, it's obviously not as big as everyone was saying it was going to be sure we can and we can laugh at that. But it is it is disturbing that the protest can get to the size of what it is. And we should be curious about what that is telling us about where people are at in the pandemic. If you are in the pandemic and you are frustrated and you want to to understand your frustration and people are telling you the frustration, you should be upset about science, you should be upset at the government, and you should be uh, upset at, I don't know, uh, people of color. <laughs> uh, and, and that sounds okay to you. And you're just like, yeah, I'm trying to be upset. Let me be upset with these guys over here. I can see how that makes sense and becomes an entryway for someone to enter right-wing organizing. There should be a way that we're able to tell people, yes, your frustration makes sense. And here is a way to understand it from a left wing perspective. Well, let's actually unpack this question about racism a bit more as well, because we are in the middle of a pandemic that has disproportionately killed and harmed racialized communities, specifically black and indigenous communities. That was thanks to the explicit racist politics of every single premier in this fucking country and the federal government. Knowing that certain communities were more at risk, there was very, very little done to give people what they need. And then, of course, this isn't even to mention disability and disability communities, right, which which is the, the, the most impacted by all of this. And so, you know, you're telling me, like, so these are the racists, as if the racism of the pandemic hasn't first and foremost flowed through the the government, public health, and then critically, the fucking piece of shit that own these industries that need low-waged, precarious, racialized workers to make profits for them. Like that, like, yes, this truck convoy is full of racists, but when we're focusing so fucking much on whether or not there's Nazis in the crowd, and, and actually, I want to also say this, like, the people carrying the Nazi signs are mostly saying that they think Trudeau is the Nazi. And so they think that they're fighting Nazism. This is also where things get collapsed and really fucking weird. And so you can be like, that guy's a Nazi. And like, for sure, there are fucking fascists in that crowd. But there's also people who genuinely think that they are fighting fascism, which is also a failure of the left to fucking properly articulate and explain. But I digress. But the real racism that fucking matters, like very, very intently, is at the House of Commons. It's in the Liberal Party. It's Aaron O'Toole. It's fucking 
John Horgan, right? It's 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 Galen Weston. It's every fucking owner of every slaughterhouse, the JBS Meats and McGregor's and Cargill, right? Like, f- keep your eye on the fucking prize, folks. And yes, if you live in Ottawa and this is completely driving you out of your mind, as it should, the nonstop honking, you should be looking at those neighborhood solutions, figuring out safe ways to be like, no, 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 you know what? We're just going to fucking block access to our the end of our street. Like, there's really simple things that you can brainstorm with people outside and come up with some solutions. But for everybody else, like, they're the racists? Yeah, yeah. They're, they, they got burning cross imagery in the stuff that they're sharing. They're explicitly fucking racist. Yeah. But guess who's the ones that's going to force people to work till their death? It's not any of these guys in this fucking convoy. No. And I, you know, I, I see the desire to want to just dismiss this as nothing. That's not that big. That it's just like, uh, I, I keep seeing people saying that this is a fringe. Like, this does not represent Canada. It was such a small fringe of people. Um but as I say, like, we really have to consider not necessarily just what this is, but what it means and where it comes from. And that I think we cannot just simply dismiss um, something like that, because it is true that this like the pandemic is being mismanaged. And so, Nora, what would it look like if we were to organize some sort of way for people to express Uh, their frustrations with uh, government failures in the pandemic that does more than just talk about, you know, personal responsibility and listening to science. Well, it could look like a a meeting of parents within a school, like a physical meeting of people get together outside quickly somewhere that's kind of warm or that's sheltered. Uh, Or, I mean, fuck, I mean, back in the fall, it could have been done inside. And actually talk about creating networks of, um, you know, who's got COVID, who needs help, who's being socially isolated and which, which, which parents are struggling, that kind of thing. Actually start mapping out the kids in the classes that you all have contact with. It could look like that. It could also look like any of the groups that you might be involved in, whether it's a sports club or a religious club or whatever, religious club, a religious organization or whatever, and doing that work, checking in with people, seeing how people are doing, seeing what their stresses are, and, and if there's any way that you can help. I honestly think that we need to find ways that, to help people who are struggling the most to have a getaway. Like, hotels are pretty safe. Like, go to the next town over and spend a night in a hotel or two nights in a hotel and find ways to fundraise for, for, for people to do that, the people who are the most stressed out. Don't be so worried to take other people's kids. Like I know I, you know, there's, of course we all have levels of comfort that we have and, and, and that's whatever your level of comfort is, is, is important. And that's, and that's fine. But I know that there's people who are totally freaked out to even have other kids in their house. And it's like, take take your friends kids like take your neighbors kids help people out to give them a day off an afternoon off or a night off and and do what you can to do that that kind of support work um but also just importantly like the answers don't come out of the minds of one one or two people they come out of like collective discussion and debate a lot of the stuff i'm thinking i'm thinking about tonight and talking about tonight I've been debating with my partner for the last two days about what what the fuck is going on and how the fuck are we supposed to stop this kind of thing. Um, And importantly, I mean, fuck, like, you know, everybody knew that it was coming to Ottawa, right? Everybody knew it was coming to Ottawa. And so I asked the left of Ottawa, where were you? 
where were like where the fuck where was the organizing to stop this to where like if something like this showed up in montreal i would have no fucking no doubt that there would be fucking folks there to meet it uh and it would probably get pretty sloppy and and not necessarily great but there didn't seem to be like the, no one seemed to be fucking ready for this and even if it's only three thousand people or even if it was only ten thousand people on the hill wh- what is the response from the left and now that we've seen this and you know, it wasn't just it wasn't just Ottawa. There's there's rallies in Victoria. There's rallies in other cities in Canada. What, how are we preparing for this? You know, when when I was part of this group that that locked a, a, a neo Nazi organization into a parking garage for seven hours, and I can't take any credit for that. It was all it was that was all folks from Montreal actually who were very very smart and very very organized. That was fucking amazing. That was just amazing. It was such an amazing show of here's our civil disobedience. You're not leaving this parking garage. Like you're not having your fucking rally. And then, of course, who gets tear gassed? Oh, it was us. Of course, right? <laughs> it was us. And then, of course, the, the police escorted them. But even building that moment and showing people that we had the power to do that, that was really, really formative and really, really important. So there is a lot of stuff that we can do. But, I mean, if, if it, it, takes, it takes people with some organizing skills and it takes people with some understanding of how to do this to, to actually do it. And so it isn't the ones – if you're listening and you're like, I've never done any of this and I don't know what the hell they're talking about. I'm not talking to you because you, you, you can't be expected to figure this out all at once. I'm talking to the union organizers and the folks that say that they're uh, like left wing in this country, the people who've been there for a long time and who know how to do these things, who just – I don't know where they're at. I, I don't know where they're at. And we can't wait any longer. One of the things I've been thinking about as we're discussing this is that um, communication that uh, was sent out in Quebec at some point that they were starting to consider uh, moving people down on the surgery list or deprioritizing surgeries for people who were unvaxxed. So um, uh, surgeries that have nothing to do with um, the pandemic at all, um, just making a change and saying that if if you were unvaxxed, you are deprioritized. And that has happened in Chicago at this point. We should be on the left, like, okay, really concerned about that sort of turn to deny people um, necessary medical care as a result of um, decisions that they've made that we disagree with. Like, we, we can't collapse everything again and be like, because we disagree with you, you're a bad person, you deserve nothing in life, and you shouldn't have any public services whatsoever. That's ridiculous. Um, we may disagree with somebody's uh, decision to not get vaccinated, but they should not be denied their the, the care that they require um, uh, in in a hospital or in any sort of medical setting. Are we prepared to have that argument as it comes up more and more? I don't think that we are. And that makes me very, very nervous. We need to be, as you just said, like the the folks who are organizers, you need to be out there ready to organize. Um, But we also have to be creative and actually flex our critical thinking skill muscles because I know, I know it looks as though the world is super simple right now and everything is black and white because you can create everything to be black and white, but it's actually unhelpful. It is demobilizing and it doesn't help us to analyze and figure out our way out of what's happening right now. The implications of this sort of organizing opportunity for a white supremacist, anti-black, anti-indigenous, racist right 
is very, very strong. Like the, the, the opportunity is very, very strong. And what that, what that turns into six months down the line, one year down the line, that's going to impact us. That's going to seriously harm us. So we have to be ready for these sorts of things. And we have to come up with better responses than where are the police and this is un-Canadian. Yeah, we've been saying this for a long time. One of the strengths of the way that Max and Bernie's party is organizing is they're going riding by riding. And it just takes Canada up in little tiny chunks. And I think that we need to look at it maybe in in that lens. Um, Not that ridings are the best way necessarily to break things up, but it means that you get in all parts of Canada. It's like if we're not organizing in every single community against against everything, against the way the pandemic is managed and against our politicians and against profits and against capitalism, then it's it's not it's it's not it's not going to happen. Before we end, Sandy, I would want to say so um, I guess our take on uh, Ukraine last week was, um, I don't know, too spicy for the fucking government. <laughs> too spicy for media (laughs) no what no what are you talking about well did you see this article from global i want to just end with this tell me about the article from global (laughs) so last week there's an article written by sean boynton at global news and um the article is called ndp mps criticized for quote unquote terrible social media comments on Ukraine-Russia crisis. Uh, The article starts by uh, focusing on MP Leah Gazan, who's a descendant of Holocaust survivors. And, you know, she posted something on Twitter that says, as a descendant of a Holocaust survivor, the Canadian government's $120 million of funding for anti-Semitic, neo-Nazi and fascist militia is horrifying. The rise of white supremacy and fascism is real. Time to stop the cowboy politics. She got called out by um, some Ukrainian and then also like guardians of the Holocaust, like folks who think that they really own the narrative on what the Holocaust was and was not, um, demanding for her to apologize. Um, And I mean, I personally think that's gross. I think, you know, you can say you should say if you're fighting for justice and you're fighting against fucking Nazism and your family was killed in the Holocaust, like you have every right to say whatever you'd like. But the part of the of the of the of the article that concerns uh, our show, uh, Sandy, was that Nikki Ashton, who's uh, a friend of the show, a friend as well. Uh, I mean, I think all of our friends of the shows are friends. But um, anyway, uh, she retweeted me, <laughs> and that was enough for her to get included in this uh, in this ridiculous article. And what she retweeted was uh, our last week's episode. Um, and so the tweet was, uh, new episode, we ask about war and what is it good for? And we come up with, it saves women, builds clean water infrastructure, creates ammo-making jobs, if you believe Canada's government, and glorifies the past of, the Nazi past of our deputy PM. And um, they don't name us. <laughs> they don't name us. <laughs> they're just like... Wait, what? Yeah, they're just like, Ashton on Tuesday retweeted a link to a podcast episode that questioned Canada's quote-unquote march to war with Russia and suggested Deputy Prime Minister Christian Freeland's quote Nazi past unquote was contributing to Canada's support for Ukraine. So we're just a podcast. <laughs> right? And then like, okay, fine. They didn't even, they didn't even listen to it very well. <laughs> no, no. And so then he goes on to write, okay, fine. Her maternal grandfather was the editor of a Nazi propaganda newspaper. Okay, fine. Yet, he goes on, the podcast hosts openly ask whether Canada's support for Ukraine was based on democratic values or, quote unquote, returning the glory of expletive Freeland's grandfather. (laughs) (laughs) Wait. What? (laughs) 
Oh my god, I hate the media so much. You know we was. But this is even better. It goes on. The Liberal Party did not directly address the accusations in the podcast episode retweeted by Ashton. What accusation? We oh my god, they just continue to call us the podcast throughout. Well, I'm happy to be the podcast. It goes on. The podcast hosts ask if Canada is simply seeking to justify the building of an ammunition factory in Ukraine. Uh, that's it. This podcast, the podcast host also asked if Canada is simply seeking to justify the building of an ammunition factory in Ukraine, a project Kiev has been lobbying Canada help since bill 2017 and was confirmed by Ottawa citizens this month. I mean, that wasn't even an actual fucking sentence. We ask what is simply seeking or what? Well, what the fuck? We didn't ask. I mean, we should demand a correction. (laughs) I did. We are not. Oh, you did. (laughs) I fucking did. And? Oh, you think they responded to me? I put in a correction because it was uh. like um, the 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 idea that um, the idea that the hosts the co- the quote the hosts openly asked whether Canada's support for Ukraine was based on democratic values or quote returning to the glory of fucking freelance grandfather. I mean, I don't think we said that in unison, did did we? I don't think we said that the fuck at all. <laughs> so. Oh no, we did. Oh no, no, I checked the transcript. We we fucking we. Oh, I did. I said that. <laughs> Okay, you questioned whether we were uh, returning to the glory uh, that Canada was returning to the glory of Christian Freeland's grandfather. I mean, it's a, it's it's not the full sentence. I could pull up the full sentence, but it, it is like a random comment. Yeah, no. <laughs> the present sorry, presenting that as news is like nor like these podcast hosts uh, questioned whether Canada was returning to the Nazi glory of blah blah blah. It that that's not. That is a disingenuous way to reference what we were talking about because we were making a point with that statement. Obviously, we use humor and sarcasm on this show. So in any case, um, yes, a retraction or some sort of correction should be requested. They should not be afraid to use our names, but... Very interesting. I'm not that surprised. I, I, I th- it's like they think that they're going to turn into a pillar of salt if they say Sandy and Nora or our names. Like, what the fuck is this? It's fine. I'm used to it. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I, 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 I am. I, I'm getting used to it. I mean, it's like it happens, but it's just like, like Nikki Ashton can t- retweet whatever the fuck she wants, and she doesn't have to assume the full content of Sandy and Nora talk politics. That goes without motherfucking saying. But also, Boynton, you fuck. Like, name us. Name, name the fuck us. <laughs> name us, and maybe be a little bit more accurate with how you cite us <laughs> or what we're saying jesus i mean i don't even ask for that it's fucking it's it's a hit piece of a piece i mean what the fuck do you expect but guy guy give us some i have high you're, you're expectations making, he's making a day's paycheck on this fucking article he better at least give us some fucking publicity 